In this episode of Meltdown to Mastery, our guest expert, Troy Hadid, provides deep wisdom on what an identity crisis is and how it can compound our feelings in a midlife crisis. Troy's insightful perspective challenges our traditional notions of identity and how we are taught to view ourselves in the world. Whether you're experiencing an identity crisis or simply seeking to deepen understanding, this episode will lead to mastery and empowerment. Enjoy. Welcome to Meltdown to Mastery, empowering women to overcome midlife crisis by rewiring the subconscious mind. Feeling overwhelmed, disillusioned, stuck? We all have. Here we explore inspiration and empowerment to navigate through the tough times and move to a place where hearts soar, minds manifest, and bodies here. Welcome everyone. Today we have Troy Hadid. Troy has taught yoga internationally for 15 years. He's walked coast to coast across Central America, navigated the world on a ship, spent prolonged periods in silence, and is continuously seeking to make sense of the human experience. Welcome, Troy. Thank you, Jane. It's such, such a pleasure always to share and really it's an honor to be here. So thank you for having me. Honored to have you, Troy. Yeah. So I thought we'd jump right in. I asked you when we were talking whether you've ever had an identity crisis, because I believe we all have, where we've questioned everything. And you gave me this beautiful answer. So let's just jump in right there. Yeah, that's definitely getting into deep end, Jane. And what I refer to when I speak to an identity crisis I believe the entire world is in an identity crisis. And that identity crisis is the understanding that my name is Troy, that this is my body, that I am an individual and I am separate from everything and everyone else. That is a narrative we are told from the very day we are born. And as we, as we live our lives and years go on, we, we add things to that identity, things like opinions, belief systems, religion, all kind of things, careers even. And anything that revolves around that human identity is temporary. So that is not actually who we are. And Sometimes we speak about life after death and we speak about God and we speak about there being part of this collective, but I still feel there's some kind of disconnect because if the narrative I'm told from the day I'm born is that I am Troy and this is my body, then if I accept that narrative, what I'm seeing is that when my body ceases to exist, so will I. And that is not a narrative that I connect to personally. Because I believe that the resonance and vibration of my actions, my words, and my thoughts will contribute to a consciousness of collective consciousness. It will contribute to this world long after I have left my body. So someone would have a very hard time trying to convince me that I am my individual body and that I will cease to exist when my body ceases to exist. And just to put a pin here, when uh, if we allow this narrative 
to define our identity, then it inhibits our ability to love one another. And it inhibit, even inhibits our ability to see God in the world around us. Because what that means is that if I am my physical body and my name is Troy and I cease to exist when I die, then everything I do unconsciously is going to be governed by self-preservation. I will always put myself first and the preservation of my identity first as long as I am governed by that identity crisis. So if we actually want to learn what it means to embody love, to see God in all aspects of the human experience, then we must continuously rewrite that narrative and start to move beyond this human identity crisis. Does that make sense? any sense? Yes, it's beautiful because you, even a, this identity crisis gets compounded by what profession we choose, right? So now yeah. I'm an accountant and I have two children and I'm married or I'm divorced. And I love what you say about seeing, I think when we're in that crisis too, we don't see God in the world around us and we lose that childlike curiosity and the wonderment that comes when you're a child and you become bored of life as well, right? And that compounds it again. So talk to us about, I know you found yoga to help you to use as a tool, But what ways do you find help us get out of this kind of crisis? Yoga has definitely helped me, right? But I think that we have all these beautiful teachings and insights that we talk about in the world today. And we read them in books and we repeat them and we share them on social media. But I think there, there is a disconnect between the teaching, the ideology, and the embodiment and application of that teaching and ideology. And I think it's important for us to look at, how should I say it? Ask a question, how does this apply to my life? And say, for example, the teaching that I'm referring to is living from a place of love. We have this tendency where we will look at all the areas of our life where we live from a place of love. And we'll say, look, I do that already. But what we're not doing is looking at the areas of our life where we are misaligned, the areas where we do not embody those teachings. And that is where our growth and transformation lies. And that is where we can begin to dissolve and unravel the many aspects of this human identity crisis. You know, what's funny, Jane, is I was even speaking to someone about this recently, and they said to me, they said, what what I am proposing is the same thing that religion proposed, in that we were part of a larger collective. But what religion did 
what religion still made, and I'm not a religion hater by any means, I'm not using it as an example, but what religion does is religion still points towards individual salvation. It, it points towards the individual spiritual ascension and realization, not the collective. And I think dissolving the identity crisis as human beings is to recognize that there is no individual salvation. There is no individual. That we are part of a collective whole, and you could call that whole God, you can call that whole, or you choose, to be honest. But it's only when we begin to dissolve these layers of identity that we really understand what it means to love and how we can see past that that ongoing need for self-preservation and make our individual needs and desires our priority. Oh, that's so profound, Troy. When I've been in my states of crisis, the way I find that I get out of it is to ask God or the universe or my higher self. I just pray. And I ask, how can I help in this world? How can I contribute? And in those moments, I get filled with love and often the answers follow, right? But it's not all about me. And, And when you felt it, you know how big that is. But it's hard for us because we've been taught and programmed that it is all about me, just what you're Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. They, from the day we're born, it's all, I am this, I am that, I am this, I am that. And you mentioned earlier, Jane, careers. And we have all these things that become part of identity, whether it be a career or an opinion or a perspective. And we see it in the world today that we attach so much to our opinions and our beliefs that if somebody disagrees with us, it's almost like we're being personally attacked. We attach so much of our identity is connected to our, our beliefs and our opinions. And when that happens, it becomes so much harder for us to grow, to one day have those opinions and belief systems evolve. Because so stuck in them, because we think they are who we are. And the same thing goes with a career. I imagine that. If at the beginning of a pandemic, I was a school teacher and I had attached to that identity as a school teacher, that the pandemic would have been really hard for me because it ripped that identity from me. Yes. And then you have the identity crisis. (laughs) Yeah. And wonder what life is all about (laughs) once again. Yeah. What would you tell someone, say you were a school teacher and COVID hit and you've lost a lot of your income and you're questioning everything? What approach would you take? I Stuff like that could be very overwhelming. And I would just take it one step at a time personally. And I choose to, in, in situations like that, in challenges and obstacles and times when life is it really just bringing us down knees. I just connect to that. That's something bigger, Jane. And I always like to say that hope and faith are very different things. And we often speak of hope and we speak of faith as if they seem. And they're not. They may be on the same team and they may have the same intention. But hope 
when we hope that something changes or we hope that things turn out okay, hope implies absence of faith. Hope implies doubt and uncertainty. And for me, what faith is, sometimes we talk about faith and we box faith with religion. And faith has nothing to do with religion. Religion exists and we believe in God and we believe in religion because we have faith in something bigger. Faith came first. And faith, to have faith is to know that even if something doesn't turn out the way we hoped, that there is a large intelligence at play, that there is growth, there is transformation coming, that every moment has purpose if we pay attention. So anytime I am faced with any form of challenge or obstacles or life is just bringing you to your knees all the time, I would encourage someone to remember what it means to have faith versus hope. Hope has its purpose, but faith is undeniable. And faith knows that no matter what happens, that we are being held and nurtured by a larger intelligence, that we are being cared for and directed. So for me, that would be the approach I would take. Is I would just reconnect in that moment to what it means to have faith and just reconnect my understanding of God and remember that I am being held. Is this what you would call getting back into alignment so that you can hear what the next step is? To me, we we speak of these things like alignment and so on as if they are really general and they're actually really hard to put a finger on. But to answer your question, I believe that in every moment there is guidance and that every one of us is being guided by You can call it God. Some people might call it source. You can call it whatever you like. Some people might call it intuition. I believe we are all guided in every moment. I always say that it told these stories of hundreds of years ago when there was a divine agency that came and spoke to people. And I don't believe that divine agency ever stopped speaking. I just think we stopped listening. The voice of a mind, especially in the world today, is so loud. It's always overthinking. It's always preoccupied with what to do next. And it's always worried about how we'll be perceived, how we'll show up, what people would think, what we're supposed to do, meeting expectations and responsibilities. And I believe the voice of a mind is useful, it has its place. But in order for us to really dial into that intuition, that voice of God, we must be able to quiet the voice of the mind. We must be in relationship to it. And I believe that in the world today, so many people are not, which is why there's so much anxiety, so much depression, people are overwhelmed, people are stressed. And um People generally don't know what it feels like to be at peace anymore. We get into these states of crisis and we go into do mode. We're going to yeah. we're going to work harder. We're going to get a better job, this kind of thing. But what you're saying is to find the next path or the next step, you actually need to get quiet. Yeah, absolutely. I believe that in in every moment. Now Get quiet, yes, but someone can, 
your mind can be quiet and your mind can be still even when your physical body is in a state of doing. So I think in every moment, if we are dialed in and like to use the word you used, if we are aligned and dialed in, that we are guided and it's not about thinking of this large vision or this large hope or dream. It's about being present in every moment. And that moment, every moment has its own purpose. And if we are present in every moment, we will be guided towards the next step. And the next step. And the next step. And I feel like sometimes we get so obsessed with this larger vision that we end up missing so much of our lives. We end up, we're not present. We're so obsessed with this large hope and dream, this vision of our lives that we don't actually live in every moment. So true. And Troy, do you believe each of us come in with a sole purpose that when we're living that more closely, we are happier and more content and more in the moment? Yeah, absolutely. I think each one of us plays a part and we have a very specific curriculum to experience and a very specific curriculum to walk. And very often, we you mentioned this earlier before, before we began the interview as well, but very often we get so attached by this narrative of what we told our lives are supposed to look like and what we're supposed to do that we try to fit ourselves into a box. And what happens is we become very disconnected from, from this sense of purpose, this the things that light our heart on fire, things that really call to us, we lose sight of them. And we end up in this, almost this monotony of routine where we're just trying to fit a mold. And I think when that happens, we actually get really disconnected from what it is each one of us is here to do. Yes. And like you say, it does make life seem monotonous and it loses its magic. Absolutely. I- Yeah, with that alignment, life does have more magic because like you say, in each moment, you can see beautiful things happen. You're aware and awake to it. Yeah. And you know what, Jane, I always like to point out that beautiful things are amazing, but the nitty gritty of life, the discomfort and the suffering and the pain, these things also are here to teach us. And they are also here to facilitate our growth and transformation. So it's not just about being present to the rainbows and butterflies of life, but it's also about being present to all the things that might be uncomfortable as well. Yeah. So true. In those moments, there's true love as well, isn't there? Yeah, always. I find we we run from the difficult things, right? And even when someone else is hurting or in pain or even dying, it's really hard for especially North Americans to embrace that and really truly be there. Yeah, we have we have this culture of neglect and avoidance and numbing. And that shows up in so many ways in our lives. But to me, to truly love someone, you have to be willing to lose them. If you're not willing to lose someone, then that's not love. 
that's almost like a codependent ownership of need, right? There, there is, a, I'm sure, of this amazing teacher, Osho. And he used to say that love can't exist without freedom. If there is no freedom, there is no love. And we could spin this so many ways in our lives, but it's essential to understand that if we're not willing to lose someone, then we're not going to be able to love them as completely as we we could. Kind of leads you into the practice of letting go and even letting go of a career, something that's not working in order to open the doors to what could work. Yeah, absolutely. All part of dissolving that identity crisis as well, and many layers of that identity crisis. Yeah. So trusting. Troy, talk us talk to us about yoga because it is something that you're so knowledgeable about. And maybe your story of how you got into yoga, and then do you believe it is one of the practices that help people get to this state of quietness? I will say first off. Absolutely. I often speak of the very first two teachings of yoga, right? The first two yoga sutras. The first one says that yoga is now. And I am interpret that as yoga being in the moment, right? You, for listeners that might not be aware, yoga means union. It means this realization of union. And that realization of union can only be acknowledged and realized in each and every present moment. And the second teaching of yoga says that yoga is the quieting of the fluctuations of the mind. Now, in mind is what creates separation. The egoic mind is what starts to think about past or future or starts to see everything else as separate from myself. The egoic mind is where that identity crisis lives. So if I can quiet the fluctuations of my mind, not shut it up, because the mind is useful. And it's really important that we point that out as well, because I often hear so many people say, I can't meditate because I can't shut my mind up. And why would you want to shut your mind up? Is the first thing I ask. You don't want to shut your mind up. Your mind is like your partner for life, right? Imagine if you came home and told your spouse to shut up. Probably won't go very well. But what we want to do is to be in relationship with the mind so that we can understand the thoughts that come up, understand the emotions, and that we could quiet the mind so that we can be present in every moment when we need to. I've always said, Jane, that if I did not think that the practice of yoga increased our ability to love one another and connected each individual to their own unique understanding of God, that I would walk away from it immediately. And I firmly believe that to be true. And I believe that way practice of yoga comes in, the power of it is that it gives us the ability to be in relationship with our mind. It depends our relationship to our mind and our breath so that we can be in the present moment. And the present moment is where we see God. That's the place where we can live from absolute unconditional love. 
in each and every present moment. And yoga, by all means, is a practice that helps us to do that. Now, with that said, there are many other practices as well that do the very same thing. Yes. Yeah. Like you mentioned, meditation and other forms of quieting the mind so that you can become... I love how you talk about that. You, the way you explain that you're not shutting the mind up, but becoming a partner with it. Yeah, there's an amazing teacher. His name was BKS Ayinga. He's no longer in his body, but he used to say that your mind is king of everything, but breath is king of your mind. And the thing about your mind is that it's your ride or die. It's like an eternal marriage where there's no separation or divorce. And I think a big problem in the world today is that we're not spending time with our minds. Like mind is the most powerful thing there is. There's the only thing more powerful than a mind is a breath. A mind in any moment dictates our experience, our perception, thing we know to be true. All is dictated and governed by mind. So if we don't have a relationship to our mind, then the mind is going to be reactive. It's going to be overactive. And it's going to create these lives where we overcome with anxiety and stress. And this is exactly what's happening. And I think if we consider it like a relationship, even like a romantic relationship, if we hope to have a holistic, loving, nurturing, compassionate relationship, then intimacy and quality time is essential. Just time to be with our mind, to see what comes up, to try to understand what comes up. And then I think this is just really important. And I think we don't do it enough. For a lot of us, spending time alone with is like Netflix or we're scrolling on our phones, or we're reading a book, we're not actually just sitting with the mind. Can you give us an example of that, sitting with the mind, something that you've experienced? Yeah, I once did a Vipassana retreat, which is 10 days of silence. Mm. And when I had done that, I, I did not have a meditation practice. I wanted to throw myself into the deep end. And what happened, what that Vipassana experience is like is that you pretty much sit on a cushion in silent meditation for 10 days. You would get up and you'd go and eat and come back and sit. You'd get up, you'd go and sleep and you'd come back and sit. And the first five days of that experience was absolute torture. It was agony. And all my mind could think of was everything that could possibly go wrong. So my mind would think of things like my girlfriend cheating on me. I would think of my business going bankrupt while I was away. I would think of my friends having a good time while I was there sitting on a... And I would manifest all these stories about everything that could go wrong. Now, what I've learned about the mind is that when the mind gravitates and attach, attaches the narrative, that narrative feels real. It's almost like it is actually happening. That's how powerful the mind is. Now, about five days in, the, there was a guide of this retreat, and um, he said something that brought me to recognize 
that all of the thoughts that were plaguing my mind and making my experience so uncomfortable were all based on fear. Whether it be fear of loss or fear of whatever. And in some way, they were all based on fear. And as long as I could understand where these thoughts were coming from, they no longer had as much power over me. It's almost like I heard them, I acknowledged them, I understood them. And sure, they did come back from time to time. But because I was now in relationship to them, they didn't create the suffering and discomfort that they did previously. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. And the mind does that too with past experiences that were very difficult or childhood experiences. And it even develops beliefs about ourselves now because of the, like you're saying, when you become aware of it and make peace with it, then you can move beyond it. Of course. And, but you first have to see it. And another thing in mind does is show in mind creates these narratives and stories about ourselves. But the mind also creates narrative and stories about everyone else. Yeah. And sometimes we paint people with this personality or these character traits that we've made up or we heard someone say, so we just adopt them. And because the mind attaches to them, that becomes that experience, that becomes that reality. And sometimes we rob ourselves of really getting the opportunity to know someone. Because we've already attached to this narrative of them. And like the mind is programmed too, right? In early childhood, that part of our mind that might do these assumptions, right? Because it's something we've learned. So we're attaching it to the moment. Yeah, but it's, yeah, 100% chain. And I have to take this opportunity to connect it back because we began with the identity crisis. And this leads back to that. Because as kids, we create these narratives and these belief systems to protect ourselves. They all govern my self-preservation. You know, fear is not a bad thing. Fear is meant to protect us. And it's so important to acknowledge at its root, fear is driven by self-preservation. And all of these narratives that we write and we create are all, very often, they're all driven by fear. And in some way, they are all feeling that identity crisis of our minds, trying to preserve who we are and who we think we are. So beautiful. Troy, we can also use the mind to create things that we wish for or manifest. Can you comment on that? Oh, yeah. You know, in mind, it's so powerful. Manifestation now is this, is this new age word that we yeah. love to use, manifestation. And it's very real. It's very real. But for me, Jane, manifestation is just a new age word for prayer. What manifestation is, it's prayer. And if we are going to talk about manifestation or prayer, we have to understand that manifestation and prayer is not something we do consciously for half an hour in the morning and half an hour in the afternoon. It's not something we conveniently do for an hour a day. When you understand that we are living embodiments of prayer, that we are living embodiments of manifestation, 
every word, every action, and every thought is a prayer. Every word, every action, and every thought is a manifestation of something. It would be really convenient for us just to look at the areas of our life in which we are trying to manifest consciously. But what about all the times in our life when we show up from a place of greed or misalignment? Those two are manifestations. Those two are prayers. And it's important if we are going to talk about manifestation and prayer that we have to have the courage to look at all of the areas of our life in which we are out of alignment because everything we do is prayer. Everything we do is manifestation. Right. So if we're out of alignment and thinking fearful thoughts, we can also draw more of that to us. Yeah, not just to us, but we generate more of that in the world around us. Like, for example, I remember one of my teachers many years ago, she looked at me and she said, you are the reason for all the misalignment in the world. And I couldn't quite understand at that moment because I know I had been trying to do, trying to live my life in alignment so that I can make the world a better place. But what I wasn't doing is I wasn't looking at all the areas of, all my, of my life where I was not in alignment. And if every word, every thought is a prayer and manifestation, it's not just a prayer and manifestation for us as individuals. We are manifesting these things for humanity. So if I am to walk down the road and I see someone who is hungry, and I choose not to assist, then that decision in itself is contributing to disconnect, starvation, and hunger in our world. That in itself is a prayer. Yeah, and it, it brings a lot of responsibility, doesn't it? To even Hell yeah. Even yeah. Even. <laughs> Hell yeah. And that, that's why um, a lot of time we would rather not acknowledge it because it's heavy it comes with massive responsibility i won't get into to the depth of breath at a moment but the word spirit gene like holy spirit comes from a latin word spiritus and it means to breathe so how the perspective i take on that and the view i take on that is that Whatever someone connects to as God or spirit, it is moving inside of me 23,000 times a day that I am a living embodiment of prayer. And what this does, like you rightfully pointed out, this carries with it immense responsibility because it means that everything I do changes the world. Everything I do impacts the world. Everything I do is a prayer. And I have to learn to bring more intention to the way I live my life so that I can live more consciously. And funny enough, this is also what the practice of yoga allows us to do. It allows us to be present and it allows us to live our lives more intimately 
with more present in every moment. Because if we're racing toward what we think a goal is, we miss all of that, all everything you're talking about. Yeah, we may not even realize that we're having a negative influence on the people and things around us. And yet we think we're heading toward great success, right? Yeah. Now, success, again, we have to look, how do we define success? And sometimes we think of success as these big dreams and hopes and visions for our lives. But it comes back to the same thing. If we're not present in each and every moment, then um, we'll never really live the purpose of each and every moment. And very often, there, there is an intelligence that has far greater dreams for us than we could ever have hoped. But if we're not present in each moment and we're not listening, then we'll never really hear that guidance or be guided by that purpose. I think that's a beautiful place to end this because that's really, that's the essence of it all, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Troy, how do people find more of you? They can find me at troyhaddy.com. Or they can reach out to me on Instagram. I'm on all social media platforms, but I am most active on Instagram and via my website. And if somebody wants to sign up for my newsletter or work with me one-on-one, those things would also be great. I do have a book coming out this year, so they may want to stay tuned. Yes. Yeah. I enjoyed this so much, such wisdom, and I am just so grateful to have had this time with you, Troy. Absolutely. Same, Jane, and thank you for having me. And remember, don't give away your power to anyone else. Be the creator of your own life. You can find more inspiring episodes on 14 different platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and EmpoweredHealth.com.